Welcome back to Tax Breaks, a podcast by the Federation of Tax Administrators where we delve into current subjects and their relevance to the realm of tax administration and government. Each episode, our podcast features conversations with esteemed professionals from government, academia, and the private sector. And our guests generously share their knowledge with us, uh, their unique perspectives, providing valuable insights and expertise to our listeners. And it's an opportunity to talk about some fun things and hopefully uh, get everybody engaged. I'm Ryan Minnick, FTA's Chief Operating Officer, and this week I'm joined by Chris Cash Ashley, a Principal EQ Evangelist with AWS. Chris Cash, welcome. I actually feel pretty accomplished because as I was putting this together, I realized where Cash came from. I had that as a question, and then I started looking at it <laughs> and how you put it in your signature, and it's like C- Chris Ashley, C Ashley, C Ash Cash. I'm like. You know, well, we, we got it right, and uh, it definitely is a tongue twister when it comes to the principal EQ evangelist. Uh, we'll have to give Rich Hua, the founder of the program, credit for uh, the wonderful naming of it, um, but definitely excited to be here and to, to join you folks again uh, following the conference. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, because you did. You presented at our FTA Technology Conference. You gave a really engaging opening keynote on the importance of emotional intelligence and the power it has to unlock collaboration. So we should talk a little bit about that in a, in a bit. But first, tell us about yourself, um, kind of where you come from, how you ended up yeah. a principal EQ evangelist at AWS. Yeah, no, awesome. And I think that um, I often say I'm a camp counselor at heart, and we'll see how it ties all together when I describe a little bit around the motivation for even being so passionate about taking on this role. So. Um, I'll say I've been in leadership within large teams for the better part of 15 years. And when you think about some of these large teams in retail spaces like Target, Bank of America, 7-Elevens, um, you know, I've been through all of those and even Apple stores. So I've always been in a space where I had to engage teams quickly, sometimes early in the morning, sometimes overnight teams. And truly quickly recognize the power of when you facilitate to an audience and get them engaged and really get them to fully be bought into the messaging, you can truly unlock some amazing things about how they can feel uh, seen at work, how they can show their authentic selves. And doing this for an extended period of time always was something that was kind of my signature. Like when it was my time to do the morning download or the huddles or you know, I even remember the moments before Black Friday and Targets where you have like 300 people and you're getting them all excited. It's like, how do you make every person in that audience feel like you are talking to them directly? And that stems from my days as a camp counselor is like my first job. And how do you make um, the, these kids actually stay engaged and not, you know, jump off of a you know, slide or something incorrectly? Um, and I talk about that journey because when I think about how I got to this emotional intelligence role, it really started with... Uh, taking on a role within Amazon within their executive development team. So they have this program where it's for some of their top leaders, where they bring them all together, almost like a business school of sorts. And they take on big problems within Amazon collectively. But in that process, they're getting development from VPs in the company. And it's a really focused mechanism for how do they support some of the top talent. And in leading that program, uh, Rich Hua, who is the, the founder of Emotional Intelligence at Amazon, actually positioned that we should teach emotional intelligence to these leaders. And he built out this whole program for it and had this deck and all this content. And at that time, my leader specifically said, you know, we'd love to have Rich, but you have to learn this too. So I'm like, 
you know, wow, I've learned all this content. I'm reading Daniel Goldman. I'm reading Adam Grant. I'm reading all these books. I'm like, I never really thought about emotional intelligence. I mean, I've led people for long periods of time, but this is a different hat for me. And as I really got into the content and just saw what it did for leaders and the power of how it really not only empowered people, but really allowed them to unlock that human side of them that allowed them to show up better for themselves, to show up better for their teams, and ultimately to really take their impact to a higher level. I got so connected to to this work specifically. And through COVID, when you think about all of our fulfillment centers still being open, that's really when I started to be one of the few members of this team to actually go through the fulfillment center network and deliver this content to people in the fulfillment centers. So I had a mask on, there'd be teams that were social distancing of like a hundred leaders in the building and delivering these keynotes on emotional intelligence as it was a huge investment at Amazon as we talked about our new leadership principle, uh, strive to be Earth's best employer. So I kind of give some of those trial by fire anecdotes because it was during that moment and seeing how it really made people change and just see the diversity of people really getting something from this content, right? When you think about the difference between a AWS executive to a fulfillment center area manager to kind of anyone across the company, seeing them light up and feel like they could be not only better for themselves, but better for their team is what has continued to propel me forward to where now you know, I probably do these two or three times a week uh, all across different uh, parts of our business and then uh, for customers as well. Um, so it really comes just from truly wanting to, to make an impact through being an orator that engages folks, but then recognizing that this is one of those vehicles where you can truly see someone get changed in the manner of 45 minutes just speaking to them. Uh, so I've been really uh, super passionate about that work since then and continue to, to deliver this content across the business. That's fantastic. And it's actually really interesting to know that you did it during the pandemic of the fulfillment centers, because that's, I think, how kind of poetic, right? It's the one of the central kind of values of emotional intelligence, kind of building that muscle, helping people understand that, you know, there are, there are elements beyond just, you know, cold, hard efficiency, which really fascinating for me that this was birthed within Amazon, which famous for being a very efficient, you know, day one mentality, this idea of always making the business better. So for for a company like Amazon to recognize the value of emotional intelligence, I think, you know, you know frankly, hopefully helps people take note of it being a, you know, kind of a legitimate pursuit. But the this idea of kind of the adjacency of emotional intelligence to psychological safety and some of these other things, I mean, thinking about the pandemic, we should come back to those um, fulfillment center examples because I, I'd love to hear yeah. more about how that possibly helped folks kind of work their way through that because you know, one thing that I find really fascinating about it is it's it's this one moment in time where, you know, 20, 30, 40 years from now, everyone's going to have this shared memory globally. Mm. You'll be you'll be in a country speaking to someone who you know, doesn't speak your language, didn't have your your childhood, didn't have your education. And you'll be able to talk about this couple year period of time where the entire world stopped. And yeah. It's just such a such an interesting thing. So let's before we get too far into it, I know we've got a lot of folks who will you know listen who may not understand the concept of emotional intelligence or EQ, I think it probably be makes sense to start there, breaking down EQ versus IQ. Yeah. And, and so I'll, I'll hand it off to you for that one, because I think, you know, IQ, obviously very traditional. You know, it's something that we're all kind of familiar with. We've all done, you know, probably some very poorly administered IQ tests just to see, you know, how <laughs> smart we can measure ourselves to be. But EQ really is, I wouldn't even call it the other side of the coin. It's something that kind of wraps around IQ, and it's how you implement your, your yeah. IQ. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's a great 
example of how like you could Google search it right now and get a variety of different definitions, but I think ultimately it ties into the ability to you know, understand and acknowledge your own emotions and manage them effectively. And then also uh, to understand the emotions of others. And when you think about where it really started to pick up steam was uh, in the late nineties, as there was just revolution around looking at people and how that actually would change working environments, how that would change the concept of success, how that would change even how individuals felt happy in life. Uh, and when you think about IQ versus EQ, it's funny because I, I say EQ all the time, but then some folks say EI. So it's emotional quotient and it used to be IQ and EQ in that respect. And then as the term emotional intelligence just became the more popular, people would start saying EI. But the reason why I, I highlight that is um, when the two individuals who really were focusing on this research in 1990 and those, and they really wanted to focus on like showing why this is important, um, John Mayer and Peter Salovey were trying to showcase how emotional intelligence is just as important as cognitive intelligence in determining success and happiness in life. There had been so much focus on IQ and cognitive reasoning and all of those things for a long period of time. And their passion for uncovering why this work was so important was coming and showing that this is just as important as IQ. And for many different years and decades had gotten, uh, had gone forgotten. And I think the part that I always try to highlight first is there's so much data on what emotions impact. So Dr. Mark Brackett from the, the Yale Center of Emotional Intelligence has this research where it shows that roughly 90% of our decisions are impacted by emotions and emotions impact things like your ability to pay attention, decision making, your relationship, physical and health, physical and mental health, uh, your performance and creativity. And as he went down and isolated all these important things, it's like, wow, like this is like really, really critical stuff. Why is there not a larger focus on this? And I think that the evolution of the, this specific subject matter industry is really starting to reveal that for people. Like they're being able to now pull back the data on emotions and top performers or emotions and high performing teams. So even still connecting it to business results, but really unlocking the power of how emotional intelligence is, is this key skill that uh, helps us all in many different ways. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's almost like it's, you know, I feel like it's the, it's the muscle that you still have to work out, right? You know, it's something that, you know, <laughs> you, everybody needs arm day, leg day, brain day, you know, it's emotions day, you know, you need to, you need to care for that part of yourself. I, I think back to maybe four, what was it four or five years ago, the mindfulness movement, which mm -hmm. I know is a component of emotional intelligence, but that was one that particularly struck me. I mean, I, I find myself to be a very like fast moving type A um, not surprising given the kind of work that we do and, and engaging yeah. with folks and, and work, but that mindfulness movement got, really got me to, to pause and it, it, you know, really think about, you know, think about the things you say, think about the things you're hearing. Um, and it's, it's tough for someone who yeah. doesn't naturally slow down to stop and, and truly listen and process every word. You know, I, I, obviously my neuroplasticity is still very viable because I did it. <laughs> Uh, but I, I find that that element of emotional intelligence is particularly fascinating. And then I think about how that, you know, kind of channels itself towards things like naming your emotions, things like vulnerability. You know, if you scroll on LinkedIn for five minutes, you'll find one of Brené Brown's TED Talks because everybody loves sharing those years later. Right. So how does how do these disparate elements of emotional intelligence, how do they, they come together to work out that muscle? Yeah, no, I think it's a great question because I think that the evolution of how to apply things to improve your emotional intelligence or to optimize it 
has been a lot of the focus more recently. It's like everyone can read these books and see the academic world say like emotional intelligence is important, but folks are starting to see like, okay, what do I actually do? What can I do right now to either leverage emotional intelligence to optimize myself or see some type of positive outcome from it? So you mentioned mindfulness, and I think that as we talk through some of the areas of neuroplasticity, it'll all tie together how you can literally train your brain, right? That's where neuroplasticity becomes a very prevalent uh, movement is it's your brain's ability to reorganize itself by forming neural connections throughout life. Simpler terms, you can train your brain to think and react differently. So when you think about emotional intelligence, let's start with the concept of mindfulness where something as simple as box breathing, where you're creating oxytocin can allow you to regulate your mood. So if you're in a really, really frustrating moment or in the context, a context of a professional environment, say you just had a really, really charging conversation with a peer. And of course that never happens at work, right? No, it happens all the time sometimes, right? So it's just like taking a moment to really breathe deeply and allow not only yourself to create some oxytocin, but to pause for a moment and potentially even reframe the situation allows you to train your brain to be more positive to where you're not just reacting immediately with a fully amygdala response where it's based on your emotion and taking a step back to do a couple different things that are actually backed by some other science methods so i'll give you one you may have heard of uh, reframing but that goes into cognitive behavioral therapy where it's like how do you catch this emotion check it and change it now reframing is powerful because what that can do for you is kind of four areas that I like to focus on. First is how do you reinterpret something? So let's go back to that situation where that coworker gets you frustrated, right? How do you reinterpret that to where maybe you remove the threat and assume positive intent? Maybe the way that they said something wasn't actually to get you or catch you or do something and maybe they were just curious. Or you can reorder it, right? Thinking about the value you're placing on it. And that's where we do things like the 10-10-10 method. Is it gonna matter in 10 minutes? Is it gonna matter in 10 hours? Is it gonna matter in 10 days? because my coworker said per my last email and could have gotten you frustrated that they put that in something, is that really gonna matter to you later on? And when you think about placing the appropriate value on that, then reframing your emotional response to it. Is this something where you blow up and respond back or CC, BCC someone else or have this whole additional thing that comes from it that may detract from how you wanna show up? Or do you pause, take a deep breath, let some oxytocin get created and then reorder the value you're putting on that? So as you tie some of these moments together between mindfulness, as you think about your ability to train your brain to become more positive, as you consider how to reframe situations, all of these are the applications of emotional intelligence so that it can allow you to basically be the best version of yourself, right? You don't want to necessarily put yourself in an environment where you're always stressed or triggered, but the reality of it is this stuff can happen every day, right? And it's how you can respond to them and leverage your emotional intelligence to, to show up the way that you want to show up. I think that's fantastic. First, thank you for explaining neuroplasticity. I kind of threw it out there and didn't define it. So that's uh, always helpful to, you know, we like, we like big words around here and it's usually <laughs> helpful for people to understand what they are. And, you know, what I like about so much about your presentation style is that you tie back in the science because there's a lot of skepticism about this. I mean, especially among high performance leaders, mm-hmm. this is not an easy, you know, this is not that, you know, every leader shows up to their emotional intelligence seminar and like walks away convinced that this is something that they really need. I mean, especially folks yeah. that have been very successful long-term, you know, presenting to the groups that you've presented to, you know, whether internal or external, have you encountered that? How do you kind of overcome that? How do you make that case? I know science yeah. is one of them because that was very apparent during your talk to, to the conference attendees who I think, yeah. by the way, really got a lot out of that because they're, 
you know, for, for people who are listening, we have a, a large technology conference. Over 500 people get together every year, and they're all technology leaders from government. And so government and technology leaders, it's not your first stop on the, you know, emotional intelligence train if you were going <laughs> to name a group of people who were well-practiced in this arena. And so I, I'll, I'll be honest, I was nervous going into it that, you know, was this too soft a skill or, you know, was yeah. this, this going to be something they didn't receive? And it ended up being one of the highest rated sessions of the conference because they they receive what you had to say. So what's your technique for reaching people who, who may need this information, but may not know that they need the information? Yeah. I mean, I, I like to think that I try to create a test drive experience when I deliver this content and that I, I don't want to tell you all the, the specs and the things about the vehicle, but sure. I try to create conversation in the room and engagement in the room to where just through the dialogue alone, you can start to even feel some of the benefits from it. So when I do our two to four hour sessions, and there is a, often, when you think about Amazonians, there is a lot of kind of, well, I don't know if I believe this, or there's some skepticism. They like to see data and anecdotes, and that's wonderful. But when you have someone have a conversation about self-awareness, where you have to break out in a group with two other leaders who are just as experienced as you and talk about your own self-awareness and what you would rate yourself and why, and start to have a discussion, it's elements like that where you create this vehicle for folks to connect and just see how it impacts them when they are talking to someone who is similar to them, different to them, but equally as respected and really start to break down these layers. So as you even think about some of the skepticism around the areas of mindfulness, like we, we do box breathing in the room together. We're going to all breathe. You're going to pause. You're going to breathe, box breathe for 60 seconds. And to actually get hands on with some of these elements is often where I start. And I think that it's truly impacted my facilitation style because I always want to get people involved because I do recognize that you might hear Daniel Goldman say that, you know, 85% of the top performing leaders, the distinguishing competencies are related to soft skills, but just seeing that on a slideshow doesn't really mean the same as if you're having a conversation around some of your triggers and what some of the negative impacts that have happened as a result of them. And you're talking to another peer C-suite leader. And as you're both sharing these stories and you're reflecting on that experience, you're really thinking like, wow, in that moment where I got triggered by this, I then did something that wasn't the optimal version of myself. And through that discussion with another C-suite leader, you don't even need the data and the science anymore. It's you mm -hmm. thinking about it yourself and you recognizing that nine out of 10 times in that situation, if I were to do it again, I would respond this way. And that one out of 10 time where I maybe did not manage my trigger effectively, or I didn't think about even how I was feeling, I showed up in a way that was different than how I want to show up. So I think it all ties into how do you make this content real? How do you bring it to people to where they can get hands on with it? And then even beyond that, how do you position certain techniques where you can take it and, and apply it afterwards? Gratitude is a huge example of that, right? So yep. gratitude is how we can actually trigger our happy hormones. And people hear it and they say, okay, so dopamine and serotonin, we have the power to, you know, make ourselves more positive. But you got to challenge people to write down three things you're grateful for. And then jokingly laugh at them, like, no, three things you're really grateful for. Not just kind of, oh, I'm grateful for this session that I had, like things that truly are, you know, important to you. And just that experience alone, as you start to think about that, is where people start to feel this change and make it feel real to them uh, to where they, they believe at a different level than just seeing you know something that could be a number in a research uh, tied to, to something academic. Which actually makes me think about the exercise you had, the folks do at the conference. And so that's our, our I think we should challenge listeners right now. You've been listening to a podcast, you're 20 minutes in, 
if you're not driving, now if you're driving, ignore everything I'm about to say. <laughs> but if you're if you're not driving, you're sitting at your desk, you're drinking your coffee, press pause and send a message to someone in your world, a message of gratitude. Mm -hmm. And Cash had a room of 500 people do this, and you could visibly see the shift in the room of people waking up, paying attention, smiling. You know, it, it, it was it was profound. I mean, where did you, so is that something that you came up with? Is that something that one of Rich's bag of tricks like that? I had never, I've seen a lot of these types of presentations yeah. over the course of many years, but never once had somebody say, stop, send a message expressing gratitude, and, and then explained while they were doing that, that feedback loop that gets created. Yeah, no, that was an original, but I will say that you mentioned earlier, like kind of the experience of being the fulfillment centers during COVID. Um, our leaders in our fulfillment centers deal with so much high pressure, stress, large teams, so much. And when you think about some of the most skeptical people when it comes to like, what is the value of some of these trainings, yet some of the most open because of how much they care about their teams, those are the groups where I was like, I had to really think and research and find ways to make this stuff real for them. And it was during those moments where after I've presented across like 50 different fulfillment centers from you know Bakersfield, California, all the way up to Baltimore, all over, started thinking about like, what are different ways to get folks engaged? And at first I started with the idea of like, well, write down three things you're grateful for. But then I just recognized that if we could make them share with someone else and actually share with a real person, that it was going to create an even different dynamic where now it's that, that feedback pool where they're laughing as their wife or their husband texts them back and says, honey, what's wrong? Or things like that. And just like, <laughs> you see them light up. But I recognize in that fulfillment center network that you also got to use things that are accessible and meet people where they're at. So. They might not have time to write down three things they're grateful for or, or anything, but they can just send some recognition to their team. They can just send a thank you to you know someone in their family. And I think as I saw the reaction through the Fulfillment Network and then started to do it with executives in this room where they're kind of jokingly looking at each other like, all right, I guess, or no, no, oh, everyone's in the boss recognition. Like you see people just get engaged like that. And I mean, from there, it's something I've just continued to do. Uh, and then also recognize that it's, you know, helped me as well as I think about uh, as busy as I am all the time, taking a moment to share recognition and gratitude to others and just wanting to continue to push that out to, to anyone who I speak to. I think that's fantastic. And I'm going to give you full credit for the fact that when I receive an Amazon delivery, the Alexa, sorry, everybody, in my room uh, asks if I want to thank my driver. And then certain mm. times a year, you know, that expressing gratitude, saying, yes, yeah. please thank my driver you know, adds, you know, five bucks to their, you know, their paycheck or adds five, you know, yeah. five bucks to their, like that. Like what a great, you know, obviously, you know, low key Trojan horse, EI, EQ, you know, total, totally giving you full credit for that one. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I appreciate that. And I think that, you know, something like that, you know, as you think about innovating in this space, it's really looking at like, how do we integrate technology in a manner that allows people to be more positive, but then also share some of those positive moments that they have by removing barriers. So even just hearing that and thinking about like how many moments in a day where you hit roadblocks or you feel overwhelmed or you feel down and there's just something that can trigger you to feel differently, whether it's a text from a best friend saying, hey, haven't seen you in a while but glad that, you know, we're friends or all the way to just getting a picture from someone in your family. Like there's so many things that can just make the next two hours, even four hours feel that much different. And as you think about the ways to automate some of this and just continue to create a happier space for people, um, it's exciting. It's exciting to see where we're going to take it. 
but it's also a little overwhelming because you recognize that uh, there's so much work that can be done and just ensuring that there's the right people behind the helm to focus on this stuff because of how powerful it is to, to, to changing us all. Well, I think one of those areas where, you know, as somebody who does a lot of work in the tech world, you know, I, technology loves to solve problems, but what's really mm -hmm. unique about this, this approach, this methodology, this kind of class of, of thought is that most of these techniques, you know, you can start doing right now. I mean, you, right. you can you can start expressing gratitude right now. You can start, you know, opening and closing your emails with a hello, hope you're well, and a thanks. But you know, there's certain things that are small gestures. You know, you can you know see something that comes across your desk that's a positive piece of news. Take five seconds and send an email to yeah. a colleague and say, hey, I just saw this awesome job. Um, for those that are listening to, you know, us today, like what are yeah. What are your top three things? Like if I, if I were to pick up three behaviors right now, you know, what, what are those three things I could start doing today? Relatively yeah. low investment, doesn't require any technology or any more than I already have at my fingertips Yeah. to start building this muscle. No, that's an awesome question. And I'm going to kind of flip the answer a little bit because for whatever reason, food is on my mind. Now, <laughs> I think you first have to understand what type of person you are for consuming new ideas. So when I say food is on my mind, if you're the type of person where when you want to cook something, you need to know the history of that cuisine, you want to read books about it, you want to really find out its foundational beginnings for you to get excited about it because that's what fulfills you, there's a path that's aligned to that. If you're a person where you just want like a cookbook that maybe has really cool pictures and you just want to follow the instructions, there's a path that's aligned to that. Or if you're someone where you're just going to throw a bunch of things together and taste it and see afterwards, there's a path aligned to that when I think about how to get started with emotional intelligence. So if you want to go that academic route and really go from like the beginnings of it, I would say look into the scholarly articles by John Mayer and Peter Salovey. They're pretty easy reads and just going from that to Daniel Goldman's book, Emotional Intelligence. That will empower you by giving you the foundation. So if you're someone who kind of really need to pull back all the layers, I would say <clears throat> looking at those two pieces. <clears throat> Sorry, uh, looking at those two things is really important because that just will equip you with the, the knowledge and a lot more of the data behind it. If you're the cookbook person where you want more of the compelling story and you want to kind of be a little bit not only inspired by it, but see how it applies in different avenues, I'd recommend two books. Uh, one called Think Again by Adam Grant because it really focuses on challenging people to think about things differently, but then also think about the roles of how this shows up in parenting, how this shows up in team safety. When you think about psychological safety, there's a lot of concepts that touches on more relevant examples to the here and now. Or a book called Grit by Angela Duckworth, where it really talks about how some of the most successful people are able to persevere through challenging things. And that helps you think about how you reposition these tough moments in your life and understand what you want to pull out of them. So I would say that that kind of pathway gives you more inspiration to take it to the next step afterward and understanding the, the techniques. And if you're that person that just throws all the ingredients together and see how it tastes, I would definitely recommend going with a five minute journal, right? Where you're able to literally use an app on your phone and write down three things you're grateful for. You can write down what will make today great. You can write down what is your like mantra for the day. So if it's, you know, any type of catchy phrase, but it allows you to get more active with it where every day you are writing down things you're grateful for and it gamifies it. So it's like, you'll have a streak it's like, Hey, you've done it three days in a row or, you know, however many times. Um, the second version of kind of that, just trying a thing is that the comm app and the comm app is 
continuing to evolve in terms of like what they have available on it. But I used to just use it just for the soundscape. So just for like 10 minutes of uh, if I had like a Costa Rica rainforest version where you could have 10 minutes of that playing in the background as you meditate. But then there's also guided meditation and there's also, you know, ways for you to have gratitude walks. So those are two apps that I would recommend if you really just kind of want to just go ahead and get started after this podcast and go and jump in there. Um, and then since we're talking about podcasts, uh, another good one that can trigger thoughts are um, 10% Happier by Dan Harris. Really easy one. It just really helps you think about being more positive. So I gave you that kind of long answer because I've recognized that as I've been asked this in a couple different ways, it has to be tailored to the person in terms of how they just consume information and how they are inspired to take the next step. Some people really want that detailed, you know, tell me the data, the research, the studies. I want to see how many leaders they surveyed. I want to see, you know, how did they capture the information? And that's kind of the first route. Others are like, how does this apply to my life? I'm a senior leader in this role. Like how does someone who maybe went to the Wharton School of Business or one of those schools, like how do they apply it to some of these business cases and scenarios? And other people were like, I don't care about either of those. I just want to get started today. So give me something where I can put in my hands and use. Uh, so that's why I kind of think about it from from those three angles. No, I think that makes a tremendous amount of sense. And all I know is that, you know, you're invited to the next dinner party because I'm definitely the person that goes deep on food. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I have yet to, to meet food I, I don't enjoy. And <laughs> it's, you know, I, I just, so many of these techniques, you know, especially as people go in to dive into some of those resources that, that you just gave out, it's, it's going to kind of, I think, frankly, blow your mind, like how many people in different areas of profession use these tools to their success. It's almost like an underlayment for highly successful individuals that no one talks about meditation, mindfulness, box breathing. I mean, where else do you get to, to say, what do Tibetan monks, Navy SEALs, and Olympic athletes have in common? And, you know, it's not, a, it's not a vitamin. It's box breathing. Yeah. You know, uh, I was standing in the back of the room with a, you know, triathlon, tough mutter athlete, and you started going into your box breathing um, demo, and he's like, oh, yeah, he's going to have him do four seconds because, you know, professional athletes, you know, get can get up to eight or nine seconds for each phase of the box. Yes. And it's, you know, obviously we won't box breathe for everybody today on the podcast, but, like, <laughs> you know, look up box breathing, you know, YouTube or whatever. It's it's very simple. I don't know if you just want to explain what it is really quick and, and why it's such an important to do it in equal phases. Yeah, you get and it's really the, the breathing technique that helps you create oxytocin. And I think that the way and the, the cadence for it is ensuring that you're able to take a full deep breath in, be able to hold it, be able to then exhale and be able to hold it out. And that process creates the oxytocin. So if you are only doing like quick breaths or if the, the breathing technique is not one that also will calm you, then it doesn't create the same level of oxytocin. So when you think about the Navy SEALs, you can think about these athletes, right? They have to have this cadence because that's what actually unlocks the power of being able to create that oxytocin. And for those attempting to do it, um, you know, it's something where you can do it guided on any of these apps that, that can do it for you, but it's also something where just the practice of breathing strategically first is a good starting point. And then progressively working into maybe you do it at different points in your day when there's certain moments that trigger it. And then really looking into even the fact that you should breathe through your nose and out through your mouth and the, how that even unlocks a higher level of oxytocin. So I think it's a progressive breathing experience, um, but just starting with taking deep breaths and some of these triggering moments and then working to that 60 second box breathing where you're doing it in uh, four second counts on a cadence um, is the best progression for it. 
Awesome. No, that's fantastic. So we're, I, I guess we're just a little bit over time, but I, I do want to ask you one last question, which is, you know, what are, what are you working on right now? You know, I know that the, the EQ program at AWS has um, some external outreach. That's how we participated with you yep. at our conference. How, how, do, how do folks get in touch with your team? How do they learn more? Um, is there anything that you have in particular going on that you want to share? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So um, as we were doing this internally, uh, ultimately we started doing it externally at sessions like reInvent and these large customer facing conferences. And because of how well received these keynotes were, uh, Rich and our team started to develop what is the customer facing content and a proposal for Amazon to actually offer this to customers. And then it became integrated in uh, the beginning of this year to our digital innovations programs. and. Those are programs where it's like learn from Amazon, working backwards, like these different things that we go and meet with customers to discuss when it comes down to ultimately understanding what it is they want to accomplish and working backwards to get to that result. And less, you know, these are our services that are for that and more like the strategic side of it. And that team adopted this program into our Epic Leadership Program where we have different layers of offerings. So it's available to any AWS customer, uh, regardless of the size or spend. So it's not something where it's like, uh, where we're trying to create net new revenue from it or anything. And sure. you're able to get with whoever your account manager is or within that account network uh, and put in a request to have it delivered to your team. Now, I will say that it's not the biggest backlog, but there is a pro tiered process in terms of like understanding the audience and making sure that we have a presenter available. Uh, but right now that's the biggest focus that we have in the company where it's figuring out how do we not only deal with the 1.5 to 2 million customers, sorry, 2 million employees we have internally and think about how do we continue to push this out to customers? How do we continue to bring this to our teams that we support and work with? Um, and, you know, that's where I'm finding the most excitement now because I think the process of working with a customer to not only empower them to just be better individuals, but in many cases to be better leaders is extremely important when you think about where we are today in this post-COVID world, in this hybrid world, in this return to office, like all of these pressures that are being put on different employees and workers and actually giving them skills now to help people be more connected, to help people feel more psychologically safe, to help people show more mutual trust and respect, to almost take this as the opportunity uh, to really truly help people. And, you know, as Rich says it all the time, having this be the vehicle to, to change the world. So... Definitely, you know, reach out to, to your account manager. Definitely get connected with anyone who's on your AWS uh, side in terms of the, the reps you work with or the customer success managers. And they'll be able to, to look into our digital innovation programs and, and set that up for you. That's fantastic. Well, and I think this is one of those things like it, it just seems to me that this is, you, you very rarely find like another frontier to, to journey on in, in the business world, right? I mean, it feels like everything's been done all the time. <laughs> this seems yeah. like an opportunity to unlock something, not only within yourself as a leader, but within your team around you. Yeah. And so, you know, I really hope folks listen today, kind of take this stuff to heart and go read a little bit, practice a little bit, um, you know, text somebody their gratitude and, you know, kind of go along that journey with us. Well. This has been an absolute pleasure. It was awesome having you speak, uh, chatting with you a few times before. I knew that this was a conversation we needed to have that everybody else could benefit from. And yeah, well, thanks for joining us. Awesome. Well, thank you for having me. And uh, I 
definitely want to recognize you for your committed effort into bringing this content to your audience. And, you know, I heard from your peers that you're a pioneer in the innovation space and thinking about technology, but seeing you be able to also bring this along with it is uh, critical and uh, excited to see where you take this with your team. Awesome. Thanks so much, Cash.